Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter number 20. The book of Revelation in chapter number 20. We're in this series, in the middle of it now, of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The King is coming. And a study that's just centered around the, all the events and the things that occur around Jesus Christ's second coming. In the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, we have been building up bit by bit, hitting some of these things in order about Jesus Christ's second coming. We've spoken about the rapture. We've spent time on the tribulation. We spent some time on the antichrist and the beast, the false religion. We've now witnessed as Christ has returned and saw all of the elements that that occur with this. Now we see at the very end of the tribulation leading into the millennial kingdom, we can see where Jesus Christ has won the victory. The book of Revelation in chapter number 20, if you wouldn't mind. The book of Revelation and chapter number 20, the millennial kingdom is about ready to begin. The tribulation has ended. Uh, <laughs> the battle of Armageddon has already been accomplished. That now Jesus Christ is going to defeat the enemy. Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me in verse 1. Revelation 20 in verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And with this, we're going to see this principle here, the devil in chains. The devil in chains. Now, when Jesus Christ returns to the earth, many important things are going to take place. He's going to leave heaven with the saints riding on the right horse and come to the battle of Armageddon. There he's going to defeat the nations and he's going to have what the parables of the sheep and the goats and <clears throat> of the wheat and the tares separate those who are saved from those who are not saved. And those who are not saved are going to perish during that time. Jesus Christ is going to start the millennial kingdom. He is going to reset Garden of Eden conditions, which we'll speak about later on. Um, <clears throat> but one other thing is that the beast, the ant Antichrist, the false prophet, together with the armies of the earth, are going to be cast alive into the lake of fire, which is burning with fire and brimstone. And after a thousand years, they're still going to be found in that place, suffering torment day and night. After the battle of Armageddon, there's a great supper, and we compared those two suppers. And 
this great supper is going to be one where it's going to be eating those who have died up on the battlefield when Jesus just speaks a word. Now as we come to Revelation chapter 20 and explore the three ver- uh, first three verses, we see an event of the chaining of Satan, that Satan is going to be bound. With this, let's see a couple of things about this event and do kind of like a little minor character study on who Satan is. First of all, let's see the character of Satan. The character of Satan. Let's kind of learn a little bit about who Satan is so that way we can be aware of it and see how significant of this event is. Now, of course, we have to explain ourselves because oftentimes people get their theology from TV. And so if all you know about Satan is from Bugs Bunny cartoons, you probably don't have a biblical view of who Satan is. Let's explore and see a little bit about this and see, first of all, some characteristics of Satan. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Timothy and chapter number 3. We're learning some <laughs> characteristics about the evil one, Satan. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's going over the qualifications of a pastor. And with the character uh, qualifications of a pastor, it's saying things that the pastor should be and the things that the pastor should not be. In the middle of this qualifications, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and notice with me in verse 6, we notice an interesting phrase. Not a novice, meaning not a beginner, not someone who's not proven, lest he be lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, one of the characteristics of Satan is pride. Now, here it's giving a warning that you don't put someone who's not tested into a position of authority and leadership. Why? Because of the dangers of pride. Pride is something that Satan has been associated with from the very beginning. Satan is full of pride. What is pride? A pride is a false view of oneself. Pride is a lack of dependence upon God. Pride is so many different things. And Satan is the uh, father of pride. The book of Job explains this in Job 40, that Satan is the king of the children of pride. He is the example of all pride. What do you mean by this? We'll explore his career a little bit later, but we'll see Uh, that he kept saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Satan is proud. Some people will often say, well, Satan knows the Bible, yes, and he knows the end of the book, yes. Then why does he keep trying, pride? Pride is blinding. You know, (laughs) it's almost like a teenager. Hey, don't do this or you're going to hurt yourself. So what do they do? They go do this. It's pride. Because they all have the idea that's not going to happen to me. I'm the exception. I'm exempt. I can do this and not be hurt. Satan, because of pride, is also blinded, but it's his characteristic. He doesn't want to be dependent upon God. He feels like he's self-sufficient as he is. It's one of the dangers about pride is that we feel like we could get on without God. 
And that's what Satan, Satan feels that even though God created everything, Satan can survive in a world without God in existence. That is a lot of pride. By the way, most people live that way. They feel like they could live their life without God being in existence. I once heard someone say, listen, we, um, we are so powerful that we can now start cloning and making our own life. And so someone said, all right, we'll go ahead and prove it. And so they went down to go grab some dirt to start making it. So no, 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 grab your own dirt. That's God's dirt. Amen. God owns everything. We are still dependent upon him. We're breathing oxygen, but yet we live our lives as if we don't need God. That's exactly what Satan has done all of these thousands of years. I don't need God. Something else that we see is found in the book of Job. Now the book of Job is a good study about Satan. In the book of Job, (laughs) it is not about Job. The book of Job is about God. You see, Satan stuck his nose where it didn't belong, and he dared to challenge God even back then. The book of Job, some people have surmised that it says, answers the question, why do the righteous suffer? That's not what is discussed at all. In fact, it never answers that question in the book of Job. What is the book of Job about then? The book of Job is, is God worthy of worship when bad things happen? You see, it's very easy to say God is good when your bills are paid and you're healthy and the sky is shining and everything's going well. What happens when you have a bad day? Is God still good? Is God still right? The way that we talk, it's an act. It's almost as if (laughs) as long as the bills are getting paid, God's good. But we start complaining and murmuring when things don't work out right. God's not good to me. God hates me. That's why my refrigerator stopped running. God's not good. God's not right. That's why I ran out of gas. And we like to try to complain that God's not good. So in this account, which is a historical account, you have Job, who doesn't know anything's going on, but he's used as a testimony, as a witness. And it all starts off with Satan just showing up and speaking to God. Notice with me Job chapter 1 and verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So here's the gathering of all the angels to give an accounting, and Satan shows up too. And he gets in this conversation with God, and he's there to accuse God that, God, you are not good. Let's prove it. You let something bad happen to a person, and they'll curse you to his face. And God says, all right, fine. Have you considered my servant Job, who's a perfect man, upright, one that skeweth evil? And Satan says, all right, let's do it. And God says, all right, listen, you can't touch his health. You can't kill him. Okay. And so what Satan does is he destroys all of his wealth. He gets rid of all of his finances, gets rid of all of his possession, and kills all of his kids in one hour. How would you like that? And one day you told that you lost all your finances, all your property, and all your kids. What would you do? Complain? (laughs) For human to human, wouldn't we understand if you complained? We would be very sympathetic. 
But notice what Job did at the end of Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Uh, Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down to the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. And the Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Now this is some guy. He's already a hero because most of us would have just failed immediately. We wouldn't be used as good evidence because Satan would be easy to say, hey, look, those are your Christians. Those are your children. And watch how they complain just because something bad happened to them. They say that you're not good and that you're not right. Here's Job who doesn't know he's on trial. Now, if you're told, hey, man, you're going to be used as evidence, we're kind of on our best behavior. He wasn't told anything. All he know that in one hour he lost everything. So Satan goes back up to God. God, listen, (laughs) this is just a fluke. He still has his health. You touch someone's health and they'll curse you to his face. God says, all right, good. Just can't kill him. Okay. Now Job has no idea that this is going on. So Satan comes and he causes a disease on Job with big boils So what he has is these big blisters, boils all over, that's oozing pus. If you can imagine, he's got a pot shard, and he's scraping off the pus just to kind of keep it from oozing all over. Everything is sensitive from the head to the toe. It hurts everywhere. So much so that he just sat in one place for seven days and didn't want to move because it hurts to move. And guess what? He's still not cursing God. Now, Satan's not done yet. Satan uh, (laughs) wants to, can't go against God's word, but he knows how to bend the rules. So when Job is not budging, he says, I've got to push a little bit. So he grabs Job's wife. Nothing could be more of a discouragement to a guy than a wife because they're so close to them. By the way, nothing more discouraging to a wife than a husband. Why? Because they're one flesh. They're together. And so Job has lost everything. May I remind you that Job's wife lost everything? Job is now in pain and hurting. And she loves him and she's tired of seeing him suffering. So she tells him, just curse God and die. Get it over with. Just go ahead and say God's wrong and let God kill you so you don't hurt anymore. That's how bad of a pain. She doesn't want to get rid of him because, you know, she loves him. She's tired of seeing him hurting. This is bad. They don't have hospitals, ERs. They don't have oncology doctors. They don't have someone to give him a diagnosis. They just know that he is hurting and he's been hurting for days. Just curse God and die. And he kind of rebukes her and says, listen, we're not going to do this. Uh, say God's bad. God's good. He's still right. He's, if he gives this to me, we could trust him. All right. So Satan's trying to poke and couldn't get Job to, um, to curse God. So what he did is he said, I know what I'll do. I'll get his friends. And I'll get his friends to try to get him to curse God. Because there's something about getting in a crowd and getting around people that start complaining that we start complaining too. It's contagious. Now, Satan also, because he doesn't leave anything to chance because of pride, he wants to win this. That he goes as they're traveling to see Job. He goes to one of them in the middle of the night, goes to his hotel room and shows up as a ghost. 
And the guy says, I feel the hair in my, in fact, let's just read it. Job chapter number four. Job chapter 4. Now what's happening is Eliphaz is giving uh, his testimony, giving the accounting of what happened to him. Eliphaz speaking in Job chapter 4. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 12. Job chapter 4 verse 12. Now a thing was secretly brought to me and mine ear received a little thereof in the thoughts from the vision of the night when deep sleep falleth on men. Fear came upon me and trembling which made all my bones to shake. He says, in the middle of the night when everyone's sleeping, I woke up. And as I woke up, I felt a presence and it caused my bones to shake. I was shivering. There was such a malevolence there. Verse number 15, and a spirit passed by before my face and the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. He says, I looked at it, and even though it was standing still, I couldn't tell if it was a man, if it was a woman. I couldn't tell the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes, and there was silence. And I heard a voice saying, Shall a mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than a maker? So basically, this ghost, by the way, who is Satan, has showed up to try to trick the guy. Now, by the way, if people have a supernatural experience like this, won't it be something they'll focus and fixate on for a while? Yeah. Absolutely. And so... Uh, Eliphaz is not going to forget this experience. He says, in the middle of the night, this ghost came and I could tell it was a ghost. Just my head, hair stood up. I just felt such a fear. It was there in my presence. And it began to tell me exactly why Job is suffering. Job has sinned. And if we could just get him to confess that what will happen is that God would lift this up. That the reason why he's suffering, the reason why bad things are happening is because Job did something bad. Now, that's a common thinking. There's a common idea that if we do something wrong, that it must be, be or it be, if bad things happen to us, it's because we did something wrong. Whether the universe calls it karma or whatever else, that if we do something wrong, that must be why bad things happen. Well, the Bible actually lists about six or seven reasons why bad things happen. And because we did wrong is not in all of those lists. In fact, Job, is he getting these bad things in his life because he did something wrong? It's actually the opposite. It's because he did good. He's being used to show the glory of God. But Satan, who's a liar, lied to Eliphaz. So Eliphaz grabs his other three friends and says, listen, this is why Job is suffering. And so the best thing we could do if we're going to be good friends is to put the full core press on him and we're going to convince him to go ahead and confess what he did wrong. Confess! And it'll make them better. And so they do the four court press. All the rest of the Job. A lot of people don't like reading the book of Job. Because all it is is a conversation between four people. Job's three friends. <laughs> then you got the Bible college student. Opens his mouth and everybody tells him to shut up at the end. Uh, and Job. And they do the full court press. Listen Job just admit you did wrong. And Job's like listen I know I'm a sinner. But I'm as right with God as I know how to be. There's nothing to confess. They're like liar. This wouldn't happen to you. This wouldn't be this way. It's almost like someone going to the hospital. And holding someone's uh, gallstones that they took out. And say you know what this is? It's your tithes and offerings. You should have gave earlier. That's not the way to encourage someone. And so, but that's what they're doing. Finally, Job says, miserable comforters you are. I thought you were coming to give me encouragement. Instead, you guys have just beat me up. 
Now, most people would probably give up and start cursing them and cursing God and cursing everybody. But still, Job did not curse God. But Satan, every step of the way, he hates God and he's trying to provoke. He's going up there. Satan's presumptuous to go ahead and announce that God is not good and let's have a contest to prove it. That's pretty presumptuous. You see, Satan has no problems challenging God whenever he gets a chance. He's presumptuous. What else do we learn about Satan? Turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians. We'll look at two verses in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number two. Something else that we learn about Satan is that he is powerful. He is powerful. He is a powerful being. He was created as one of the highest orders of angels. There is much power that he has. He is more powerful than you and more powerful than me. It also means that we need to be very careful with how we speak and deal about him. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. It says, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. That's another name for him. This is implying, by the way, that Satan is the ruler of earth right now. God is the ruler of the universe, but Satan's the guy running this place. No wonder everything's falling apart. People say, why is the world like it is? Well, partly because the guy who's in charge, not the president, the prince and power of the air. He's trying to wreck everything. The only reason why it's not worse is because God in his Holy Spirit is keeping things back from getting worse. But Satan's powerful. He's the boss of this world. Where in the time past you have walked according to the course of this world, according to the principal power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Wow, if you want a good snapshot of what our world is like, there you go. You have the guy who's in charge of everything and that he is enabling and working with and in the children of disobedience. Do we've got a lot of people who are children of disobedience in this world that's making things worse? Absolutely. Notice with me Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and notice with me verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, let's start in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world. Once again, it's saying that Satan rules this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. By the way, verse 12, you could summarize this. People are not our enemies. People are not our enemies. That will tie into our Sunday morning message here in a bit. People are not our enemy. You may think they are. People are not your enemy. There is forces behind it that are stirring people up. Those are the ones that we're fighting against, not against people. People are not our enemies. Satan is, but Satan is powerful. There are many other characteristics of Satan. John speaks of him as the wicked one. Moses speaks of his subtlety. Paul speaks of his deceitfulness. The Lord recognized Satan as fierce and cruel. 
that Satan is doing everything he can. This is his characteristics to overthrow what God is doing in the world and hates his people. So we looked at the character of Satan. Let's look quickly at the career of Satan. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 14. Let's learn a little bit about where he came from. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, it gives a quick summary of Satan and what he is doing. We know that he was created as a perfect angel. In fact, Satan's job was, as we believe, to be the choir master of all the glories to God. So his job was to help direct traffic, to get people to glorify God and to bring that glory to God. Well, after a while of doing that, he started saying, hey, listen, I'm doing all the work. Why isn't the glory going to me? So notice what his response was, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, and notice with me in verse 12. Isaiah 14 in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, notice as we begin the I will statements, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above all the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Look at that. He kept saying, I'm going to be God. I'm going to take over God's position. Everyone's going to recognize me. I will, I will. Just the pinnacle of pride. Here he goes. Someone once said that the shortest definition of sin is I will. I will. This idea of pride and self-dependence. Now Satan was cast out of heaven. But he wasn't done yet. He said, all right, fine. I can't do my job anymore. I know what I'm going to do is I'm going to corrupt the people that God created for fellowship. You know, the angels weren't created for fellowship. They were created to serve God and to serve God's people that were created for fellowship. Christians, Hebrews chapter one covers that. So he says, listen, God loves them so much. I'm going to turn them against God. And so he came down to the Garden of Eden and tempted Eve and got man to sin. And he did that because he says, listen, I hate God and I'm going to ruin what God wants. I'm going to show that God is not worth it. And now for the last 6,000 years, he's still working to get people not to worship and serve God. But one day he is going to... Um, be in chains. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be not ignorant of Satan's devices. Satan's at work today and we need to understand how he is working, what he is doing. Satan is continuing his work to try to damn souls, destroy lives, and destroy every work of God. Notice with me as we're in Isaiah 14. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 15. It says, yet... Thou, speaking about Satan, shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, and opened not the house of his prisoners? So one day, 
we're going to look at Satan putting chains and we're going to go, this is it? This is the guy who caused all the problems? This is what we were afraid of? This is it? Of course, Satan, he may be look big now, but compared to God, he's very, very small. And one day he's going to be put in chains and he's going to be locked away. We know that church work and preaching are good, but they don't accomplish casting uh, Satan out from earth. What's going to do that? The second coming of Jesus Christ. We need to remember our place. We can't stand against Satan on our own. None of us are strong enough or spiritual enough to do so. We need God's help. Remember, the problem with Satan is that he had self-dependence. I will, I will, I will. We don't need to follow the same mistake. We need to be God-dependent. I need you, I need you. I need you. Even in the areas that we think that we've got it, we need to go to God and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you. This is the example of Satan and the principle that we should draw from it is not to be like Satan. To be dependent upon God in every aspect of our lives. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.